How's everybody doing? You guys good? You ready for a new series? We have this beautiful, I'm calling it like a gyro globe for habits. I know you're thinking, that just looks like a play toy that they spray painted silver. But no, it's a gyro globe that we built for habits. And each one of these is like the habits accelerators, okay? And so what the point is, you'll see this every week, and hopefully it grows bigger and overtakes the whole stage. That's probably my vision more than anybody else's. But the idea is as you're building habits, more things begin to happen in your life. You start building those functions, those pieces that touch every other area in your life. A small habit over here can have a dramatic effect on other parts of your life. And that's kind of what that is symbolizing as we move through this series. Next week, I am running my first half marathon. I am uh, dreading it. I made a horrible error in thinking I could do it. So about a month ago, some, some uh, well, an organization I really like, they said, actually, is, is some of them are here, I think, today. I, I don't see them. But anyway, they <laughs> were here, and they invited me to this, and it's called Marketplace Ministries. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this sounds awesome. Uh, a half marathon. You know, I like to run. You know, I run at the gym. What's the difference? So then I go out and I start running and I realize, oh no, no, it's much different. And so a friend of mine who runs marathons, I go, what's the secret? Because I'm dying. And he said, well, here's what he wrote. You have to take your cadence around 188 strikeouts per minute. So like 80 to 90 per leg. That'll help you reduce your fatigue from pounding. And I write back, I don't know what you just said. I think autocorrect got involved because, and so he writes back, he goes, okay, just do about 14-minute mile pace for your first one, and every mile, slow down and walk for two to three minutes, then kick back in. I'm like, okay, and so I started working on it and doing it the way he said, and I made it about nine miles last week. So a half marathon is 13, so I'm still going to die. But I'm getting there. We're getting there. Now, here's the point. So with habits, this whole concept of doing this together and helping each other and doing it through life groups, you're supposed to be in a life group. You take your book. You pick it up. If you haven't picked it up, it's $12. It's out in the courtyard. That's like two cups of coffee at Starbucks, and then you've got your book. Just have to fast those two cups. And then you go to this life group, and you work together, and you talk about, here's how I'm dealing with it. Here's how this is working for me. And that's every Wednesday. And then the sermon on Sundays is in the middle of whatever habit you're working on to just continue to push you forward into making these habits a reality. And as you do it, you will get stronger and stronger, and you'll pull off things that you possibly did not realize that you could do. As we help each other, as we come, become accountable, accountable to each other, we get stronger together. Now, it's only six weeks, so this isn't a life sentence. And I want to encourage you to really be involved in these next six weeks. Because good habits are hard to build. They take time. Just like bad habits are hard to break. If you were thinking through a bad habit, so you have some habit you're trying to break, you would be intentional about how to break that habit. Because they're hard to break and you have to put some intentionality into it. Good habits work exactly the same way. They don't just magically happen because we say they're going to happen. You have to work up towards what you're doing. Now, 
Habits in the Bible also are called spiritual disciplines. So you're going to see them throughout the Bible, most likely called spiritual disciplines. They are all meant to grow you closer to God. These aren't some kind of thing you're supposed to just do because you look better. All of these habits that we're talking about draw you near to God. Aristotle said this, what We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act but a habit. At the beginning of the year, everyone sets these New Year's resolutions. Mine was to learn Spanish. Okay? So I download the Duolingo app. You might have heard of that. And it works pretty well. And it has all these like coins and things you get, and you have experience points, and you get a treasure chest. And I'm like, yes, I love this. I want to win. And so every day, if you follow along and do the experience, you have to do 50 points of experience. Then you get the chest that opens up and gives you the gold coins. I don't know what I'm supposed to spend them on, but I get them every day. Now, do I know Spanish? Not really. No. I can say Miyamo or Miyamo David. I, know I, I can say my name, which should be pretty easy. But here's the key. I have created the habit. I have not missed one day. Thank you very much. No clap. I haven't missed a day, and I'm getting a little bit better. I'm learning more words, and a year from now, I expect this to take a long time. A year from now, I might be able to say a sentence, and then maybe two. And as I keep doing it, I've created a habit in which the actual payoff comes way later. But building the habit first gets me to that place. Will it be all overnight? No, it's taking forever. But if I keep pressing forward with the habit, I will eventually get to where I can have some sort of a conversation when I'm talking to someone in Spanish. Now, for us here today, Horace Mann said, habits are like a cable. We weave a strand of it every day, and soon it cannot be easily broken. This is what we want to create. And the question in your notes today I want you to answer is, do your habits reflect Christ in you? If you're sitting on the aisle, please take that basket of pens, pass them down so everyone can get out their notes. And in that first line you have there, it's reflect. Do your habits reflect Christ in you? And if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to talk about how Paul was guiding Timothy in his habits Here's what it says, if you're turning there. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Now, if you look at these words, point these things out, a deeper dive into that particular, those words there, this point out, is actually better translated to provide instruction, to teach. So if you look at that, he's saying, if you teach, if you teach the word of God to these brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. What Paul is exhorting Timothy to do is to teach truth. Now, why is he saying that? Because like so many cities where the church has been planted early on by Paul, the very next thing that happens, and almost every one of them, and this is one of them that does this, False teachers come in right after and start saying all kinds of wives' tales and old sayings, and they, they distort the truth that Paul just said. In fact, they'll even use some of what Paul says to then push it into what they're saying. It's this false doctrine. 
And so Timothy's trying to deal with that. He's like, do I come up against it? Do I like cast out demons? What do I do with this? And Paul says, continue to teach truth. It's kind of like the way we teach counterfeiters, or I should say those that are fighting counterfeiters. The way you teach a counterfeit finder, I don't know, there's probably a better name for that, but it's not by knowing all the counterfeits because there's so many different counterfeits. Some are really, really bad. You know, it looks like Monopoly money, and some are amazing. Well, what do they teach these guys to do? They don't teach them any of that. They just say, know what the correct one looks like so well. Like, study it, and only study the real one, the real bill that you're actually looking at. So that whenever a counterfeit shows up, you just know. You know it's wrong because you know the real one so well. That's kind of what he's telling Timothy here. There's going to be all kinds of false teachers saying all kinds of wacky things. If you continue to teach the truth so well that that's the only thing that everyone understands and recognizes, they will immediately be able to push out all the counterfeits because they know the truth. So instead of trying to expose and refute and push back and basically fight all these different false testimonies that are wrong, all you're going to do is make those things, the controversy grow, the exposure grow, the discussion grow by trying to fight directly against those things. Instead, just continue to teach godliness. The example he uses right in the next scripture is about physical training. And the reason he uses physical training is he's in a culture of the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans that are big into physical training. Like, this is something they would know well. And what Paul's telling Timothy is, you know how there's this uh, major amount of work that's put into the physical body, the physical exercise, and everyone's really into it. The same amount should be put into your study of godliness. Here's exactly what it says, verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, this looks like a pretty fit crowd. I think a lot of you probably work out. In fact, raise your hand if you exercise in some capacity and somewhat on a weekly basis, all right? Yeah, most of you. Good. Because it should be mind, body, and soul. If you're not working out, I just want to encourage you. It's probably a good thing to do, all right? You want to work your mind, you want to work your body, and you want to work your soul. Well, you're all here today working your soul, so check. Just need the other two the rest of this week. So this word here, this word in this gener- where the he is and who he's talking to, the word train comes from a Greek word called gymnizo. Anyone want to guess what word we got from that word? Gymnasium, right. We use the same Greek word gymnasium or gym, which means in the Greek, to train or undergo discipline. Now, the root word is gumnos, which means naked, because the Greek men used to exercise naked. Now, I'm not sure why we didn't pull that over as well. I think that would be a good tradition that we could bring back. Bunch of guys working out. I just want to get that image in your head right now. (laughs) Sounds terrible, right? Uh, So anyway, try and pull this back. 
The idea of physical training is, is really one that we know well. It's about practicing something so much that, one, your muscles get stronger, and two, you have this muscle memory to do something really well. I mean, when we look at athletes, it's amazing how, depending on the sport, the body begins to shape in a way that they're able to do that sport better. And then their muscle memory, they practice so much so that they can be the best at that sport. So to use this example is, yeah, I get it. We spend so much time to do these things. How much more is godliness? How much more, how, how more, much more important is this godliness? And Paul says physical training has some value, but godliness, spiritual training, training in godliness has value not only here, but in the next life as well. So I have to ask you, all of those that raised your hands, do you spend more time in your physical training versus in your godliness, your spiritual training? Now, some of you are sitting there really smug going, well, actually, I never work out, so I'm way higher in my spiritual training. And I'm going to go, no, that's incorrect. That doesn't count. That just means you're bad in two areas, not one. So understand what Paul's fighting. The whole thing, and we studied this with the Acts series, he's fighting tradition and law versus heart and actions. It's the fight of the entire New Testament. This tradition and this law versus heart and action. And the fight's still really going on because we love rules. Everyone has this just infinity love of rules. Like we elect officials to give us more rules. We're like, please, more laws. We just want more. In fact, when our elections go on, we add propositions just so we can have more rules that we want to vote on, right? It's not enough to elect people to say them. We want to add more. That's how much we love rules. And the same is true of this time period in which we want to know if we do these things, we're good. And if we do these things, we're bad. And then we can all watch each other and go, okay, obviously that's a bad person. And obviously that's a good person. They're following the law. We like that. It makes it so easy. We can all be secret spies watching each other. It sounds so wonderful. I'm being facetious. Because it doesn't sound wonderful. And yet, it's so much a part of the church. And it's so much a part of this time period. And it's always these, these biblical characters going, Man, you're into this tradition and law, but that's not the message of Jesus Christ. It's freedom, and it's about your heart. But it's so hard to judge a heart. It's so hard to know if your heart is in the right place. But your heart being right will show up in your actions. So your heart produces actions. Actions don't produce your, your, who you're going to be with God. Your heart does, but it's hard to measure. And that's this difficult fight that's constantly going on. And Paul's saying to Timothy, Listen, the way you combat these false teachers is by pursuing godliness. Continue to push people to heart and this relationship with Jesus Christ, and their actions will show. They'll be able to know when a false teacher comes in. Godliness is a habit. Train yourself to be godly. You are what you repeatedly do. Godliness is not passive. It's an active verb. It means God-likeness. That might sound weird to think of yourself as a God, but what it really means is you begin to act in a way in which people see Christ in you. It's God-likeness. Your attitude is of God. 
Training in godliness prepares you internally for what comes at you externally. It prepares you to live for eternity instead of hoping in the temporary. It's value for all things. Godlikeness does not mean it's the most comfortable life. It does not. It doesn't mean you're going to have the richest life. It doesn't mean the most pleasurable or the easiest. None of that is promised. But what you're guaranteed is the most fulfilling life. And you will know the truth. And this truth will bring about a contentment and a purpose that goes beyond what the world calls success or richness or pleasure. Spurgeon said it like this, I assure you, and there are thousands of my brethren who could affirm the same, that after having tried the ways of sin, we infinitely prefer the ways of righteousness for their own pleasure's sake, even here. And we would not change with ungodly men even if we had to die like dogs. With all the sorrow and care which Christian life is supposed to bring, we would prefer it to any other form of life beneath the stars. See, godliness offers us things this world cannot. It brings a contentment and a happiness in this life and the next. Nothing else promises you the next. When sin and vice come into your life, it offers you no promises at all. In fact, it presents itself as, no, this is sin. Uh, this will actually mess you up, and you won't feel better after you do it. Would you like to do it? And people are like, eh, okay, I'll try it once, <laughs> right? That's how we sort of, we, sin doesn't even offer you saying it's going to be good now or the next. But it goes further than that. Success, wealth, all those things, none of that is offering you anything beyond to the next, now, there is a way you can send wealth ahead of time. There's a way you can use it to do something in heaven. But that sermon's in three weeks, and I cannot go there yet. So wait for that one. When we talk about fame, beauty, legacy, when we talk about achievements and learning and arts, all those things, although nice, offer you nothing for the next life. Godliness is the first one that says not only will it affect you here and make you content, and effectively bring happiness in a way you haven't experienced before, but it also offers you something in the next life as well. Stephen Covey said this, I have had the opportunity to work with many people, wonderful people, talented people, people who deeply want to achieve happiness and success, people who are searching, people who are hurting. I've worked with business executives, college students, church and civic groups, families, and marriage partners, and in all of my experience, I have never seen lasting solutions to problems, lasting happiness and success that came from the outside in. That is so key to catch. All of that comes from within. There's nothing out here that is going to bring you the happiness you seek. It will begin inside of you. It is a heart issue first that then shows up in your actions. The goal of habits isn't for you to practice things perfectly. It's to practice them faithfully from within. And as you are faithful and you grow in your faith, it grows your relationship with God. And then it shows up in your life in so many other ways. Richard Foster in the book Celebration of Discipline said this, A farmer is helpless to grow grain. Now he cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing 
to the Spirit. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. If we're honest, sometimes we're like, we're like bad farmers who cram right at the end. Like if we were in high school cramming for a test at the last possible second. I know none of you guys did that, but every once in a while people would cram at the end trying to do well on a test. It's like a farmer who forgets to plant in the spring dilly-dallies all through the summer, and then about two weeks before the harvest, they're like, oh man, I've done nothing, and they're out there trying to do it. Will that work? Are there any farmers? No. No, that doesn't work that way. You have to put in the time. It's one of the reasons the Bible uses these farming illustrations, the sowing of the seed, reaping the harvest. They're all over the place because we understand you have to put in the time. You plant way ahead of time. Then you cultivate it, you water it, you make sure no bad stuff get in there, no, no bugs and things. And then finally, if you've done the work, the harvest that comes up is beautiful and amazing. It's the same with our spiritual disciplines. This is how God is teaching us that you build it in here. And if you do it correctly, the harvest will come, but it takes time. I'll give you one example of where this comes over all over the Bible. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What we're talking about, and these are all different uses, but what we're talking about is heart transformation. Habits is not behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. If you build it on the inside, it'll transform who you are on the outside. It's like planting those deep roots for trees. If you plant the roots to go deep, the tree that forms is bigger and better and more beautiful. It is the strength that you're building inside to handle the tornadoes and the hurricanes of life. And we will all have those. The challenges of life will be there. We will each experience our own in a different way. If you prepare ahead of time, you will face those stronger. I started this message about my uh, half marathon. And when, a month ago, when I first started getting into this, I went online to see what I should be doing, and it, it was like so much information. Here's a few. You should calculate your time and your pace to make sure you don't hit an early wall. You have to have a training regiment to properly be ready to make it to the end. You have to choose the first right race. Choose wisely. Not sure I did that one. The great gear you will need, and all this gear just went on and on. What you should eat before, during, and after. How you should drink, and the system of fluids you should have. Even if you're not thirsty, you're just putting the fluids in. On and on, and then it says this at the end. If you do all these things, you'll be prepared for success, and you'll have less chance of injury. And I love that, and I wanted to pull it in because... The hurricanes, the tornadoes, those things of life that happen, the challenges out of the blue, those are going to be out there. They're, you're, they're going to come. So if you put in the time now and prepare yourself, you have a better chance of success and a less chance of injury. You'll be prepared for what this life 
throws at you. Listen to Paul's words again. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I love how he ends it. You should all fully accept this. It's like a Star Wars thing he does right there at the end. It's amazing. But it's true. This is amazing. And we need to all fully accept that this is how it works. Do your habits. Reflect Christ in you. Our character is basically a composite of our habits. In other words, you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. You sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap character. If you sow character, you reap destiny. You are what you sow. You reap what you sow. What you're willing to put in is what you're going to get out. Theo Howard, a UCLA receiver, said this, Meetings start and end precisely at the scheduled times. Every practice and meeting ends with the mantra, Habits reflect the mission. That just means our habits reflect our end goal. What we do every day and how we do things is going to reflect where we go at the end of the season. Habits reflect the mission. The mission of Canyon Hills is to obey the Great Commission of Jesus by making more and better disciples of Jesus, both locally and globally. Do we live out that mission? Do our habits reflect our mission? Apollo 11 is kind of a famous spaceship in our history. It's the one that went to the moon, and then Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. Most people know this story. What's interesting about that whole traveling, that whole trip, is the hardest part, what took the most amount of energy, where they spent most of the gas, everything, was getting off the ground. The first few minutes, the first couple miles, Now, they went half a million miles to the moon and then back. But all the energy was right there at the beginning. That's where they had to blow that whole thing out to get off the ground. When it comes to habits, it works the exact same way. You could do amazing things with your life, but you have to start. And that starting point, getting off the ground, whatever it is, the gravitational pull that's keeping you from getting going with these habits and making them a part of your life, That's the hardest part. And you will spend the most amount of energy going, I'm doing this. It's going to become part of who I am. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to be in a life group. I'm going to read the book. I'm going to make this a part of me. That's the hardest point. And you will spend most of your energy just pushing off the ground in the first step. And then half a million miles of things that God wants to do with you. And God may do amazing things with your life after that. But that starting point is where most people don't get off the ground. They don't take that first step. And I want to encourage you. I want you to know how hard that is. But if you can do that, amazing things are still to come. Paul says to Timothy, that is why we labor and strive. He doesn't say this is easy. He's talking about being godly here. Godliness. That is why we labor and strive towards it. Because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Do your habits reflect Christ in you? In your notes, there's like four final points. I'm not going to elaborate these. I'm just going to tell you what they are. The first one in there 
is these habits will not transform us. It is the Spirit that transforms us. I don't want you to get into a works-based religion. I don't want you to... I want this to be, if I begin to do these things, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what transforms my life. And I grow closer to God because of them, which is point two. These habits are means to being with God, not an end in themselves. They are a means to drawing near to God. It's about God. It's to build a relationship with Him in a greater way. It's not a bunch of habits to look better. No, all the habits do is push you into a closer relationship with God. That's what they're for. Three, these habits will not earn you anything from God. You're already fully accepted in Jesus. Again, this isn't something you have to do to earn heaven. No, it's not what we're talking about. You've already been given that. You've been given that through the death on the cross and Jesus Christ rising again, saving you. As you accept him as Lord and Savior, you're fully forgiven. Heaven is yours. These are about growing closer and building a relationship, not works and things you have to do to make him happy. He already loves you. And if you haven't accepted him, I'm going to give you a chance in one second. The fourth one here is when you fail, remember the cross. <laughs> Notice how I write this. When you fail, okay? We're all, we all slip up. So when you fail, remember the cross. Your failure is covered by his grace. When you fail, talk to God. We all jump in, we're excited, and then two weeks go by and you realize you've done nothing. You're like, oh, what a, I totally forgot that habit. Just jump back in. Just keep going. Keep pressing on. Get a little bit better and stronger each day. Press into what God wants to do. Do your habits reflect Christ in you? We want everyone's answer at the end of this to be yes. They do. I've started. And they reflect Christ. I see it. That's what we want for you. Take some time. Get a friend and do this together. Grab a book. Jump into a life group. There's a ton of them. We want to do this together. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for Paul and Timothy having this conversation that we get to now grab a hold of and go, yes, we want that same thing in our world today. We want people to know you so well that we recognize counterfeits immediately. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today, and you need to take a first step with Jesus Christ. The habits sound great. A relationship with him sounds great. But it's not about earning your way into him. He already accepts you fully how you are right now. And if you're here saying, I need to just take a first step of making Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of my life. I'm not going to pull you up front. I'm not going to do anything weird. But I would like to pray for you. Will you lift your hand and say, that's me. I'm taking a first step with Jesus. Lift it up. Anyone else? Amen. Father, we thank you again. And I already rejoice in the victory that will come as we make you a habit in our life. We give you this time. We give you this worship. In Jesus' name.